Hello, welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. My name is Rob Dempsey. I'm a leader in our high school ministry here at Brookwood and serve and switch on Sunday mornings. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, continues in our series on experiencing the presence of God. If you want to watch this message or listen to this week's worship, just go to our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or on the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. to be different. Be careful. Most of you didn't say you did, but do you, do you want to be different? Because it's a, that's a very threatening thing to invite God to change you. We continue our series today, Experiencing God. Today's message is entitled, Adjust. So this is the one the chiropractors will like. (laughs) You take out your message guide. The theme verse from Exodus chapter four, verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. So how many years have elapsed since he's been in Egypt? 40 years. Today we focus on reality six and it says you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. Moses had to leave Midian where he was very comfortable and return to Egypt that was in a situation that was quite threatening. But joining God's work, you see, first requires accepting God's assignments. God and Moses had a continuing conversation. It's a pretty lengthy conversation at the burning bush. And where was the burning bush located? Yeah, it was Sinai. It says Horeb there, but it was also Sinai. So it's interesting, isn't it, that God called to Moses. Moses first encountered God At the same place, he would encounter God most significantly and receive the law from God, the Ten Commandments. But Moses had to surrender himself to accept and pursue God's calling. God first told him, now go back and see Pharaoh and tell him you're going to deliver. And Moses protested. When God said, go to see Pharaoh, he he resisted. You can see that in Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. But God continued speaking. And then he directed Moses to go to the slaves, to Israel, and gather the elders of the people, the leaders, and tell them God's plan for deliverance. And that's in Exodus 3, verses 16 and 17. And here's his response, beginning at at chapter 4, verse 1, on page 49. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? See, God had chosen Moses. He had spoken him to him directly from a bush that was burning and not consumed. And still, Moses was full of doubts. Doubts about whom? 
doubts about himself and doubts about God. Your doubts about yourself are always related to your doubts about God. Now, God had no doubts about Moses. He knew Moses could accomplish his plan, not Moses' plan, but God's plan. But God had to convince Moses, the same man who had fled Midian 40 years earlier, in failure, in fear, in shame. You see, Moses had run away. And he found a nice existence, safe, secure, obscure. How many of you have pulled back? God called you to something, you took a step, and then you made a terrific mistake. And in response, you just fell back into obscurity and tended sheep. God, leave me alone. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Don't call on me again. I'm staying right here. I'm going to tend these sheep and live out my life. Are some of you there today? Sheep take a lot of form. Verse 2. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord said. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake and Moses jumped back. Why did Moses jump back? Fear of what? Hadn't Moses seen a snake before? I mean, he was outside all the time. He'd seen hundreds of snakes, thousands of snakes perhaps. So this must have been a frightening snake is what I'm guessing. You may say, well, it was just a stick turning into a snake. Maybe, maybe that. I think it must have been an asp or a poisonous snake of some kind. And Moses jumped back. And then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. Why are y'all laughing? What? Is that how you grab a snake? With a shovel. Who in here has ever grabbed a snake? How'd you grab it? With a shovel. You didn't grab it then. You, yeah. You ever grabbed a poisonous one? You grab it by the head. If you grab it by the tail, what happens? Yeah. So Moses reached out and grabbed it. And it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Not when he reached for it on the ground. In his hand. See, Moses, God is building Moses' trust. And even grabbing this snake required faith. Moses had to live by faith, not by sight, even in this way. And you know what? For every one of us, God will not use us until he challenges us to grow in faith. 
Perform this sign, the Lord told him. We're at verse five. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Now, the next couple of paragraphs that I won't read show us that God displayed some other miracles, displayed his power in two other ways. He told Moses to stick his hand under his cloak. And when he did, he took it out. It was diseased, perhaps leprosy, but certainly some kind of skin disease. He said, stick it back in there, put it back in. And he took it out and it was clean, whole. Then he said, now pour water on the ground and the water turned to blood. Perhaps he's foreshadowing the plagues. So God's given him several demonstrations of his power. But when God calls any of us, we must surrender what we have, who we are, to his use by accepting his assignments if we want to experience God working in us and working through, of it, through us. Jesus also calls us in the same measure to surrender our lives. Look at this passage. Then he said to the crowd, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Some other translations say your wants, your desires, your conveniences. Take up your cross. How often? No, just on Sunday, right? Daily and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Not many of us believe this passage because we are desperately clinging to our lives. I'm not giving God anything that I don't want to give him. I'm not having to live by faith. I like living in security. I'm hanging on to mine. See, taking up your cross daily means, what does it mean? Dying to yourself. So dying to yourself means, what does that mean? That's easily, easily said. But what does it mean to die to myself? My selfishness, my possessions, my ambitions, my money, my preferences, my plans, what I want to do with my life. This is who I am. This is my identity. I'm going to be this person. And God says, no, no. Put it down and come after me. Come after me. And we do it every day, every morning. We say, God, help me not to be self-centered this day. Help me to be Christ-centered and be willing to die to myself and live for you. What's God telling you? 
God's telling a lot of us right now something that we need to be dying to that we are clinging desperately to. And God's saying right now, throw it down. Philippians 1.21. For to me, living means living for Christ. Dying's even better. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? I mean, this is a serious issue. Are you living for him? How many of you think you have an assignment from God? Let me see, all over the room, let me see. You think God's given you some kind of assignment. It's a, it's a significant number. So how are you progressing in that? Are you dying to everything else but the calling of God? Because let me tell you, all this world is going to get in the way of you obeying God. See, Satan doesn't mind, and our culture doesn't mind you being a little bit of, you know, kind of a shallow Christian, nominal, go to church now and then. But dying to self and living for Christ, they don't have room for that. But you will never be useful to God with a foot in each world. Are you living for God? Are you carrying out his assignments? Because see, it's when you carry out his assignments that you come to know him intimately. He doesn't need us. We've been seeing this over and over. Chris, does he need you? So why does he use you? He loves you and he wants you to know him. And it's as we walk with him that we come to know him. As we spend that time, some of you that only want to go to heaven, you'll never know God. You're just tending sheep. We're transformed as we walk with him, as we work with him, as we know him. And he transforms us into the people we were created to be. And you know what? That's your true self. A lot of us never discover who we were designed by God to be. And we never know what it is to truly live by faith. Because it's like grabbing a snake by the tail. And I like this stick, just like it is. Joining God's work requires acknowledging dependence on God. Now Moses continued to resist even after these several displays of God's power. Verse 10, which is on page 50 in, in this book that's available here. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. It's interesting. Acts 7, 22, which is Stephen speaking, said that Moses in Egypt was powerful in speech and action. You see, Moses was somebody in Egypt. Moses was a powerful warrior. Moses knew the history of Egypt. Moses could command respect in the way he spoke. 
and God destroyed every bit of it. And he ran and hid behind the sheep. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak and whether they hear or do not hear, whether they see or do not hear, do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I'll be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. You see, God never intended for Moses to deliver all of these slaves from bondage based on his own strength, based on his own leadership, based on his own persuasiveness. But God had to lead Moses to understand and even to believe that this intimidating assignment of deliverance would be performed by God's power, not Moses. A lot of you raised your hand about you know God's given you assignment. Is that assignment too much for you? Let me see your hand if it's too much for you. Too much for you to achieve. Then you're in the right place. Because let me tell you what, if it's an assignment that requires nothing of you, it probably didn't come from God. Because when God calls you to something, he's calling you outside yourself. God would enable Moses to do whatever was necessary, including speaking. Listen to my accent. How beautiful. God uses who he chooses. And he makes what we have and who we are sufficient. Verse 13. But Moses pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. That's right. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. Does that surprise anyone? That God, that Moses, that God became angry? See, I think, unfortunately, I think the American church has domesticated God and turned him into this old, weak grandfather with no teeth. Doesn't even know about implants. Just, he's got those dentures that don't fit. And he just, oh, please, oh, please give me, oh, please. And we have stripped God of personhood and robbed him of any power. And we've made him a beggar of people. That's not God. That's not God. God is fierce. God is fearful. God is frightening. But God is loving to his own. But we don't play with God. You see, God became angry because he expected Moses by now to trust in him, to trust in his words, to rely on his miracles, to believe in his power. But God said, all right, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you. 
God had already arranged it. And he will be delighted to see you, it says. God was frustrated by Moses' response. Yet he provided Aaron to help. Continue at verse 15. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. See, Aaron was the first prophet. And I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Moses' fear and his unbelief frustrated God. But God arranged his brother to assist him. But this was a mistake on Moses' part. And what you'll see is that later, Aaron became jealous and caused trouble for Moses and the people. Our heavenly father loves us, but has expectations of us. He expects us to respond to him, to grow in our dependence. He does understand us, so he he will help us through our weaknesses. But don't think there aren't consequences when we live with a lack of faith. Some of you right now are dragging a leg right now because you've operated with a lack of faith. Our natural gifts aren't, aren't sufficient to accomplish God's supernatural eternal results. And yet he invites us into his work, into the work we can't accomplish, so we'll learn to depend on him. See, without God working through me, without God working through you, I can't accomplish anything of eternal significance. Now, I'm not saying, you know what? Humans can build churches like you build businesses. If you get enough talented people, You can build a church, but unless God builds the church, we labor in vain. We labor in vain. Philippians 4, 13. For I can do everything, not through myself, not through my gifts, not through my talent, not through my ability, but through Christ who gives me strength. Because I know in myself, I'm insufficient. Do you understand? Those of you that know you have a calling, do you understand? God doesn't expect you to fulfill it by yourself. But he does expect you to attempt it. What are you waiting for? And as you step, you'll experience him. But see, remember, Moses didn't see God at work until he grabbed the tail, believing he was about to be bitten. And then it changed. In his hand, not on the ground. 
Joining God's work requires us agreeing to make adjustments. See, Moses had to make some significant changes in his life to obey God's calling. Verse 18. So Moses went back home to Jethro, also called Ruel, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they're still alive. Was that the reason Moses was returning? Why is he afraid to tell the truth? He still believes nobody around him will believe what he says. And he's not even telling his father-in-law the truth because he showed up 40 years earlier in shame, brokenness, in fear. He wanted to never go anywhere near Egypt again. And so he tells him, I need to go and see if any of my relatives are still alive. He didn't say, God's called me to return, to deliver. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. Remember in Exodus 2.15, the Pharaoh intended to kill Moses for killing the Egyptian. But God reassured Moses here that he wouldn't be arrested or put to death in Egypt. And so it, it certainly comforted him. But he still had to adjust his life, didn't he? He still had to relocate back to a place that still was a site of his greatest shame and embarrassment. He had to return to the location of his failure. And lots of people knew it. Remember that when he goes back to these, these Jews, the Israelites, they all know he failed. They know he fled. But he would relocate back to the place where he showed he wasn't sufficient. So he'd rely on God entirely. Furthermore, when's he going to get back home? How many years before Moses completes the Exodus? 40 more years. He never gets back to Midian. But he knows it's going to be a while in the very, at the very least. So Moses is having to leave that safe obscurity of sheep herding. How many of you are tending sheep when God's calling you to go to Egypt? You know, when God called me out of law practice, I have to admit, it wasn't as frightening as it would have been some years later. I was single. I'd only been practicing a couple of years, so I wasn't really making a great amount of money. I didn't have a mortgage. I, I was thinking I didn't have any debt, but I did have a car note um, but, but what happened is right before God called, our firm won a big case. And even though I was on the bottom rung of the firm, the money trickled down. 
And the money I was given, the check I was given was exactly what I owed on my car all the way through the cents. It was a thousand something, so it was four, five, six digits, and it was exactly what I owed. So I paid off my car, and then it wasn't long, and God said, time to go, time to go. So I went, I worked in a church staff, then I headed off to seminary. But again, again, it's just me. And even though I'm diabetic, back then, I could buy a bottle of insulin, you know, for $11 over a counter. I didn't even have to have a prescription or anything. So I could afford, I had no insurance. You know, I'm in my 20s, I'm young. I meet Leanne in Mississippi in seminary. In the first two years of our marriage, we lived in five different houses. We lived in three states. And she must have thought, what have I done? (laughs) But Exodus 4, verse 20. You know, sometimes when you get cut loose from the, the flock of sheep, it's easier to follow and you just go wherever he says go. But sometimes if you lay those roots deep, you'll become like Moses and you'll say, anybody but me, anybody but me. Look elsewhere. Look elsewhere. Verse 20. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. You know, thinking back on all those moves I've, hauled Leanne all around the country, um, Southeast. One of those moves, when I went to pastor a church in the summer, these dear people came to help us move and they brought a cattle trailer that hadn't even been washed out. So talk to her about how it felt. (laughs) But, But perhaps... Pharaoh's death encouraged Moses not only to return for himself, but maybe, maybe without that, he wouldn't have taken his family for fear. But God arranged that too and told him this word of comfort. And so he took his whole family. And then it says, in his hand, he carried, what does it say? Whose was it? No, no, this is Moses' stick, Right? See, the staff of Moses, an ordinary stick, a branch from a tree, became extraordinary in the service of God. And and once it was surrendered, the staff of Moses actually became the staff of God. And in Moses' hand, the staff parted the Red Sea. In Moses' hand, that staff struck a rock and produced water in a barren wilderness. And in Moses' hand, once it was held aloft and some folks had to help him hold it up, it enabled victory against an overwhelming army, the Amalekites. 
But was the staff magical in itself? No. It was an ordinary tree branch. The power lay in the fact that it had been surrendered by faith to God's use. When we surrender whatever we have to God, he makes it sufficient for his task. So so what's ordinary becomes extraordinary and becomes empowered to impact eternity. But like Moses, we'll have to make some major adjustments to obey God's call. Because you see, God doesn't think like we think. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55, Mark 10. And these adjustments can take a lot of different forms. They may include changes in our circumstances, your job, your home, your finances, perhaps your relationships. God may say, and those folks you're hanging out with, cast that down. Family, friends, some of y'all have a boyfriend, a girlfriend. She is a snake. Run away. Could be business associates. Some of us right now are involved in business with people we know we don't have any business being in business with. Could be our thinking. Could be we have some built-in prejudices, some racism. Some thoughts that, that aren't godly, some prejudices. Maybe our methods. You know, we, we think as long as the end is okay, that, that it's all right, I'm gonna do this and I'll give God a little money. But no, God says, no, no, it isn't the end. It's every step. It's the means and the end. Might be commitments. What's your level of commitment to your family, to your church, to your job, to your plans? Perhaps your actions need to change. How you pray, how you give, whether you serve. Now I'm telling you, you don't have to do any of these things if you're okay with sheep. If you're okay tending sheep, you don't have to do any of them. Could be your beliefs have to change. How you see God. How you understand his purposes. What you know about his ways is altered. I mean, I hope in this series, you're seeing God differently than maybe you've ever seen him before. Maybe you're seeing yourself differently. Maybe you're seeing your relationship with God as as different than you've ever seen it before. See, you can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Now, I'm gonna say something y'all can get mad about, but you have to say, God, does this apply to me? If it doesn't, as usual, dismiss it. Some of you haven't changed in two decades. 
You've just been content tending sheep. What's God telling you about the adjustments he asked you to make and you were unwilling? Do you want to obey God's calling? Do you want to use your life for his work? You have to decide. And if so, are you willing to make the significant changes that he will ask you to make? Are you? Y'all are in shock. Counselors come to the front. They'll be here to pray with you. And you know what? If, if some of you are troubled, that's about God. I don't want you to talk to him and let someone pray with you and talk you through it. They'll be here as long as you need them. You can go to the care connection room and across the concourse where you can speak to someone privately. They'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing, emotional healing, physical healing. We don't guarantee healing, but we anoint with oil by faith and sometimes God does heal. So I invite you to do that as I close. Also, let me remind you, next Sunday is the first Sunday. And I've, I've asked some of you that said, I can't get here every Sunday to pray, but I've said, try to come once a month. We'll be here at 8.15. I think the most important work that happens here is done here at 8.15, where we ask God to work in people's lives because only he can save, only he can change. We prepare, we deliver, God makes the difference. So I urge you, consider coming, if you will. Let me pray, and then we'll pick up chairs. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, don't leave us alone with our herds of sheep. Call to us again, God. Call to us again. So we will involve ourselves in your work, and we use our lives your way to bring you glory. We pray in the blessed Son of your Son, our Savior. Amen. Please stack the chairs. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you can experience a transformed life. One of the ways you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get connected with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on the Brookwood app. Thank you for listening and have a great day.